if you would like, there's also some activities, kids that are staying in here, um, in the bulletin for you to do as you listen to the sermon. There's also, for our upper elementary, there's their, um, their notebooks over here with, with p- colored pencils, if that's something you'd like to use. Um, if you don't have one and want one, if you're new, let us know. Um, but uh, with that said, let's, let's turn in our bulletin. Uh, we're we're uh, our second or next to last uh, sermon here in the book of uh, this letter to, from First Peter. This letter of First Peter, written by Peter, the apostle. Um, this is uh, wrapping up this book, and that'll take us into, uh, we have, um, after next week, we have um, Rick's going to be preaching on the 10th. And uh, sharing a little bit about what's going on with, with his ministry, with World Reach. Then after that, we get, um, Lord willing, we'll have uh, Matt Dorowski, who our uh, former intern at, at JSU, will be preaching on March 17th. And that will take us right into kind of our the Easter season. And we'll, we'll, we'll focus there in uh, those coming weeks. Um, uh, with that said... Um, let's look to 1 Peter 5, and um, before I read verses 1 through 7, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for, for this, your word, and thank you that you apply the gospel and this, this good news that has been proclaimed throughout this book, throughout the, the scriptures, but especially in 1 Peter, and now you apply it. Um, to the leaders of the church, to the, the members, the flock in general, that you, that the, the, the indicative of the gospel informs how we live together, how we care for one another, how we um, um, act toward, num- toward one another. Uh, Lord, make, make that true. It is true in this church. I see it and I feel it and I'm so grateful but may um, this your word have it even uh, continue to, to change our hearts, to convict us where we've fallen short, to show us our sin, to show us, again, remind us of your sovereign loving care. Um, grant us humility and as we lead, as we follow, um, as we submit to one another and to you. Um, do this through the reading, the preaching of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um, this is a, uh, a passage not unlike we've seen um, in 1 Peter. We've, we've seen general, you know, just reminding us of who, what the gospel is. And there's various points he, uh, he has applied it to particular situations, particular relationships, particular roles that we find in life. So, servants being subject to masters, employees to bosses, uh, wives and husbands. Um, he's, he's talked about this and now he gets into the relationship and, 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 the, and the, what he, uh, this relationship of authority and submission in the church. Um, you know, when we read this, um, I'm reminded of elders, of leaders that have made an impact in my life. And uh, believe it or not, the first elder I remember, it wasn't, I remember my pastors, my, the, pre, the teaching elders in, our, in the PCA, the ministers, those who preach, I remember, I remember them. Um, but the first elder that really made an impact was a guy named Mr. Gully. And um, he was probably close to 70 when I was like little. I, was, I remember four and five meeting, you know, Mr. Gully. And what, what was the impact? Um, I would see him up front. I would see him serving communion. I would see him being, you know, a part of what's going on in the church. But here's the thing that made an impact. He knew my name. <laughs> he talked to me. He talked to my brother and I. He talked to my parents. He interacted. He even wrote us letters. Imagine that. Letters. Some of you younger people, letters. Pen to paper. It's weird. But that, that's, an, that's an obvious old joke. But, you know, I'm a dad, so I'll do that. But anyway, it's, he would write letters. And he would, I mean, we, he, he was really involved. He really cared about our family. And I, I, I still remember... Mr. Gully, I remember what he looked like. Uh, he's no longer with us. He's been promoted to glory. Uh, but that, that made an impact. I had this as a young kid growing up in Faith Presbyterian Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. There was an elder who, was, uh, who knew me and asked how I was and spoke with me each Sunday. Um, you know, did that lead me into ministry? It was part of it, I would have to say. It didn't, at that point, at five, I, that wasn't what I was setting out to do. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to be a fireman then, uh, as most five-year-olds in the 80s did, I guess, um, or race cars or whatever. But anyway, uh, but, you know, but again, other, other elders in my life um, uh, made, making an impact. Um, and, and not just teaching elders. There were teaching elders that made a huge impact. Uh, uh, Rob Looper was my first kind of boss. He was a, the minister at Trinity. Uh, Presbyterian Church. He's now at Briarwood as uh, one of the assistants there. But he he was pivotal as, in my college years. Uh, I worked for him. I was an intern at the church, and he took me under his wing. There was um, Billy Joseph, my father-in-law, who was my campus minister, a teaching elder in the PCA, who loved well, spent time, and was accessible, and just modeled Christ. Um, there's all these different folks. My youth pastor, Tim Kay, um, and then. And then teaching elders, I mean ruling elders, Bill Thetford in, at Trinity in Tuscaloosa, um, Craig Flowers, who was the elder at, when I was in this mega church of, as an intern and felt like a cog, one of the cogs and the wheels of, you know, of ministry and programs. Craig Flowers, Dr. Flowers was an elder and he really did take the time to know me and 
care for me. He was on the youth ministry committee. But again, there's, maybe you think that too. Think about that. Think about the leaders, the shepherds, these under-shepherds that God has used. And I hope you have that. I hope you can think of pastors and leaders that have shaped your life. And, and so as I, as I read this, I think about all these positive examples um, and, and how they, they worked among us and, and, and how they blessed me. So um, here I am. I'm, a, I'm an elder. And, uh, and so I, I want us to look at this text. It's not just for elders. It is, there's a very pointed uh, uh, you know, exhortation for elders, but there's also exhortation for all of us. Um, and uh, so here's the, here are the questions I want us to answer this morning. And so my points come in form of questions. The first is, how should shepherds shepherd? The second is, how should the flock follow? And then third, how should we all live under God's care? How should shepherds shepherd? How should the flock follow? And how should we all live under God's care? Um, you know, again, I've had positive examples. I hope you have too of what, what it looks like to be an, to be an elder. And, um, you know, in our church, we, you know, we do have this. We have elders and deacons. And so deacons, this isn't to leave you out. This is just what the text, this is where we are in the text. Um, but the, the scriptures say a lot about how our deacons should, you know, their qualifications and how they should serve. Uh, you find that in 1 Timothy and, and uh, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. But, but as far as our elders, uh, first as you read this, it might look like it's talking about just older people, more mature people, chronologically. And then it talks about younger people or younger men in particular. But, but as we look at this, as we look throughout the scriptures, whenever it uses this term elder, it really is talking about the office. And, um, it, you know, whenever it uses this term, which can mean just someone that's more mature in age, it, it often is talking about this, this, um, this office of elder. This is clearly seen in, in Titus 1, uh, verse 5. This is why... This is Paul's word to Titus. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I direct you. So this is, uh, this is the, the way God has appointed and wants His church to work. He wants to have uh, men that are called to, uh, that are gifted with teaching and, 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 and shepherding and caring for the flock. He wants them to put, put in place. Note that he uses uh, the term... Um, is a plural here. He's talking to elders, and I believe that that clearly shows that, that 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 there should be more than one elder per church, per congregation. We we you know we don't want just one person one one person in charge. We don't want to live in an in, in a you know an ego driven church. Uh, we've seen that. We've experienced that. That can happen even in a Presbyterian church. But Proverbs eleven fourteen tells us where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So this is, a, this is talking to the, the elders, the office of elder in the church. Um, this reminds us again, this isn't just a clever way to do church, but it's actually in the scriptures. Um, the way we do our ecclesiology, we way, we way our, do our, our church government is, is found here. And, 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 the, and that there is authority with elders and there's also, there should be a plurality of elders. And we see that here in this text. Um, 
It's interesting that as Peter addresses these leaders of the churches that he calls himself a fellow elder. And that's another sign that this is a, as a not just he's, a, he's another old guy, but he's someone who, who has been given authority in the church. And, you know, you would think, well, why don't he say apostle? Why doesn't he say, you know, disciple? Why does he, why does he kind of, again, he's got this really uh, a unique perspective. He was one of the, not just one of the twelve, but one of the three, you know. But again, as he's speaking to these, these church leaders, he says, I'm a fellow elder. I've been, I've been gifted with, with uh, gifts of, of teaching and, and understanding and, and pastoral care. And, and that's, that's his primary job. Um, he, he believes that they are, they are equals with him. Which is interesting if you think about the Catholic Church and their view of Peter. That he's some kind of... He's above all. He's been singularly given the keys to the kingdom. But as, as Peter himself is addressing... The other leaders of the church, he goes, hey, we're on the same level. We're fellow elders. We're, we're shepherds under the chief shepherd, Jesus. And so there's, there's equality, there's parity is another way of saying that. There is no delineation of him being greater. Now there's definitely uh, elders that I would say have greater gifts, like the Tim Kellers and R.C. Sproul and, you know, all the ones that write the books, you know. I was even in seminary with a couple guys. I'm like, I'm so glad to be, to see you here because you're going to write the books that I'm going to read one day and uh, this is going to be great. And uh, so there, you know, there's different levels of gifts, but we're, there's, there's parity. There's, 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 there's an office of elder. There's no higher ranking. There's no higher rank of teaching elder over ruling elder. Again, yeah, I mean, we, in our denomination, teaching elders are required to do more school and, and have different tests and different, you know, to make sure as we bring the word of God that we are competent and understand what we're talking about and have the gifts of preaching. There are ordination trials, but they're still over the same requ- basic requirements that, uh, for the ruling elder as well. And so there's, there's, there's equality, there's parity there. But, but really, what, what, is, what is being said? What's the exhortation? What's, what's, um, what do we need to, what, are the, what do the elders need to know and do according uh, to Peter? Um, well, he, said, he exhorts them, it says. He exhorts the elders, which is, has a little more, you know, um, to it, right? I didn't write, I didn't spell oomph, you know, there's a way to do it. But there's a little more, it's, it's more than an appeal, it's more than a request. The literal meaning of, meaning of this Greek word that's translated exhort is to call to one side. It's to say, come to my side, see this how I see it, do what I'm doing. It's a, it's a, it's a strong appeal, um, a calculated persuasion um, to those receiving it to come to the position of the one issuing it. He said, come, come up to my side. Come see this, this, what does it mean to be a shepherd, to be an elder in the church. And, um, and you go, again, remember that Peter was also exhorted to come alongside. Remember in John 21, after Peter's denial of Jesus, he denied him three times and he was distraught fishing, but he sees Jesus on the beach and, and he goes... Peter, do you love me? You know, and care for my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Then tend the flock. Peter, do you love me? And so, you know, Peter had the same 
the same commission, the same exhortation from Jesus himself. And so he's bringing it to, to these men that are called to lead the church. Um, he says, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. He addresses this temptation that, that exists in the, for elders, teaching elders, ruling elders, the temptation to view this calling wrongly, this, this, to, to abuse the office. Um, it happens. And he gives these three negations, these three commands. The first is, don't have an attitude of dutiful drudgery don't do this under compulsion um, for the elders in the room some of us in this room have been elders for many decades some just a few years you would think and you might be sitting here going how could that be <laughs> let me just acknowledge there are times in the life of the church where being a shepherd being an elder is hard it's wearisome. And I don't say this to... There's no guilt here. Do you not hear it? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a calling of the Lord. We're equipped to do it. We're called to do it. But there's times if, if the elder's not careful, we can just kind of be clocking in. Doing things because, well, I, got, I guess I have to. Or maybe just thinking, well, I'm doing this, but my role isn't really necessary. Or I really... Do I, do I, you know, again, we all struggle with that. We all feel that way. Maybe you felt that way with parenting. <laughs> Maybe you felt that way in your marriage. <laughs> I mean, again, this is all reluctant compulsion, just purely dutiful service. He's saying, he's saying it not because, he's saying it because it's, it's a real temptation. He's saying it because he knows. I, I like to think that Peter knows as a fellow elder this is where my sinful heart goes. This is how this is real. But that's not how we're supposed to lead elders. Out of dutiful obligation or compulsion. But he says, rather what? Do it willingly. And so when you know, think about this. Uh, when, you're, when we do have officer nominations, when you, when you nominate someone, hopefully you're asking them, hey, are you willing... To serve, do you, are you? Do you see? Do, are you ready to do it? And and just to just to brag a little bit, not about myself. But my brother just became just was ordained a ruling elder in, at Trinity in, in Montgomery. Um, again, not you know. Again, that's all Christ's work in him. But I'm so I'm so proud of just God's work in him. But for a number of years, he was like, my business, my family situation, I can't do it right now. He, he would call me like three, two or three years ago. They, they, they nominated me. And he, asked, he said, is it okay if I say no? I was like, yeah. You need to do this willingly. You need to be ready. You know, you know don't, don't do it because, well, everybody's asking me to. Well, everybody's expecting me to. Well, everybody, you know, just because you are a good theologian, just because you are a good teacher, doesn't mean you're necessarily called to, this, to the office at a particular time. I want to hear the, you hear the freedom of that. If any of you who are maybe uh, nominated one day to serve as an elder, 
If you're thinking about being a teaching elder, is it because, well, everybody's telling me I'm, I'm, I should be a, a pastor. Well, that, that's a good thing to, for people to see your gifts, but again, there has to be an internal call, a willingness, a desire to serve, uh, not under compulsion. It, again, you, you've been in any job, any job, any, any kind of role where you can tell when someone's doing it just because they have to. Right? We all feel that. And I will tell you this. Um, I'm, I'm committed to doing my job at times even when I don't feel like it. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's bad. But there, it doesn't need to be something we do. It, think about this. And it's very easy as, as teaching elders, as ministers, pastors, elders to go, God loves me because I'm an elder. God is happy with me because I'm doing work for Him. Again, it becomes a works righteousness. It's under compulsion. But an elder needs to know that Jesus is going to be just as happy with me and pleased with me and love me even if I'm a, a failure this week as an elder. That my, I'm not, I get to do this out of the delight and joy of, of Christ's work in me. It's not to be for self-gratification or for sordid gain. That's what he means next. Shameful gain. And you think about this. I immediately go to the, the big health and wealth pastors that are... What? I mean, it's, there are many charlatans. There are many false preachers in the world still. And it's obvious they're doing it what? For the big house. For the money. He says, this is, no, no, that can't be it. Uh, there's no evidence of Peter being a rich man. Uh, Paul gave up riches and fame and name and title to be uh, an apostle, to be, a, to be an elder in the church. Um, again, it's, you know, we do see in Scripture that, it's, that a, a pastor or an elder should be, should be supported for their work, but... Not that can't be why. And it could be for financial gain. It could be for gain of prestige. I want people to look up to me. I want people to think much of me. That can't be it. That can't be it. Instead, we, someone that's not out out to serve to serve for themselves, but rather someone who's eager to treat the members of the flock as more important than themselves. Is a selfless call. It's a, it's a role of being a servant leader. And then thirdly, it says, not domineering. When I think of domineering, I think of an expression like, hmm. You know, like, when you use that word, you think, you, I think of automatically of a facial expression. Like, hmm. You know, looking down like that. That can't be the role. That can't be. That can't be what. That can't be the the attitude of a, of a of a elder of of Christ's church. Someone who's who's in it for for the power for the control. Who just likes being in charge. That's not the role of an elder. That can't be it. Let me just say this to you. 
You know, there's so many of us, and there's, I think we're all like this. We really do... Um, I, I'm an administrative mind. I like to kind of get things set. I like to kind of deal with problems before they happen. I like to kind of think out ahead. But you know what I can't do? You know what no elder can do? Is, is to plan out and plan and, and so that we avoid the brokenness of the world and the sinfulness of our hearts. There's no way to lead through that or get around it. It is not a place. If you're thinking, I want to be an elder so I can feel like I'm in control, that ain't, that ain't it. <laughs> yes, I said ain't in a sermon. It's not a place of control. It's a place of service and leading and prayerful dependence. You know, I think as a younger person, I thought, you know, I want to be in charge at the church and make things right. And, you know, I had that kind of attitude as a young seminarian. But now, no, we, we're going to come to this next. It's just, Lord, help us. Lord, grant wisdom. Lord, do, Lord be at work. Help us to know what to do. There's no way to avoid the messes. There's just a lot of cleanup on aisle center, right? And that includes me. That includes me too. What are the incentives though? This sounds like, this sounds like a great job. Sign me up. Some of the elders are going, why did, I, why did I sign up for this? What's the motivation? But he gives us motivation. In verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive... The unfading crown of glory. To serve in the church as an elder or deacon is not to do it for what I get right now, for, for money or for, or for prestige or for control or for power. It's about hearing at the end of it all, well done, good and faithful servant. It's about getting a crown of glory so that then you can do what? Lay it at the feet of Jesus and go praise be to God. And that's not just the motivation for the elders. The motivation for all of us, isn't it? Just to, why, what, am I, what am I doing? What am I living for? What is, sometimes it just feels like the Christian life is harder. It feels harder to, be, to have a leadership role. It feels harder to, to lead a family. It feels harder to serve, to be submissive wife. It feels harder. All these things feel hard. What am I, I'm doing it unto the Lord, trusting that He will bless us. Yes, now, but especially in the age to come. That's, that's the incentive. An incentive that, that the chief shepherd is empowering us. The chief shepherd, Jesus, is not distant. But in Revelation, we see him in the midst of the lampstands, holding the, the, the messengers, the pastors, the elders in his hand. He, he has us. He's with us. He's in our midst. And this Jesus is coming again. To infinitely repay with an enduring crown of glory. So, how should shepherds shepherd? That's that's the first one. Second, how should the flock follow? Point two. And these are quicker. I promise. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. 
And it actually, what this is actually a masculine, it actually, you could translate it, those who are younger men, or the young men. And why would he say that? Why would he use that term? Well, again, I just told you before how I, I look back on myself. Let me ask you this. Uh, are, when you're younger, were you more wise or less? Uh, when, when you were younger, did you know more than you do now? Did you think you knew more than you do now? That's true of everybody. And men, women, like, again, like, you, you, don't, you can't know what you don't know. You ever heard that? If you're in your 20s, that's not an insult. You, you can't know what you don't know. There, there are questions I hadn't even thought to ask yet. I had very, if you have very few questions and you have the answers to those few questions, you feel like you know a lot. But the more you live, the more questions you have, they pile up. You're going, I'm still, I don't know. And so he's saying, especially to the young men, hey, listen. Submit. Trust. These shepherds that I've given you to lead and guide you. Don't think you've got it all figured out. Don't think, not again, he never says, there's no group, there's no demographic in the church that has less value than the other. That's not what this is saying. It's saying, take advantage of this God-given leadership and caring that God has provided. Listen, submit. But then he goes and says, he says, be subject, that means what? To listen, to submit. But then he goes, um... Uh, clothe yourselves, all of you, elders, office, office holders in the church, young men, young women, everybody in between, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. So the flock is to is to listen, and that's part of our that's part of our membership vows, right? The membership vows is to is to is to submit to the to the government and discipline of the church. And, and what that means is to be guided in 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 service by our deacons. Those deacons are Chris and Bruce and, and Charlie. And um this is why I don't say things off the top of my head. Brian, I'm looking right at you. But we, li- we list these. We list these in the back of the bullets. And look, we have, they're listed. And some of the elders are going, oh, don't, don't point that out. But we have it right here. The session, those are the elders. The diaconate, those are our deacons. We're called to look to them. You're, called, you're expected to look to them in, in, their, in their leadership. Submit to them. Doesn't mean you can't ask questions. Doesn't mean you're not a part of the solutions. Doesn't mean you're not using your gifts. You're, you're called to do that. But, but, but listen, but also we're to, not only that, but we're to submit and, and trust and, and one another. Humility toward one another. Not just the, the office holders, not just the leaders, but to one another. That humility is to, is to be pervasive in our church. And really, what is this? This is another way of saying, he says, clothe yourselves in humility. Why would he use that? Why would he say that? Because by nature we're not humble, are we? <laughs> in, 
in our sinful nature, just to ourselves, we're not humble. But you might go, oh, but I'm so humble. See, there you go. There it is. Prove my point. But we're not. We have to put it on. And it reminds me of another passage in Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This clothing with humility is clothing ourselves with Jesus. Jesus who made Himself nothing. Who, who, who humbled Himself. Became one of us. And humbled Himself to death. Even death on the cross. This, this Jesus, this fully, fully man, yes, but fully God, who described His own heart as being gentle and lowly, meek and humble. That's how we are to listen. That's how we are to submit ourselves to the leaders. And it sounds self-serving when I say it, I know, but this is the Scriptures. And by the way, I just want you to know that this doesn't just mean that those who are not elders need to submit to the elders, but elders submit to each other. I just want you to know, I have no, I am not, I do, my, I do not have a, a more important vote on the session than anyone else. Neither does any other ruling elder. We submit to the body of elders. Even, even when I don't agree, even when the majority vote goes the way and I legitimately don't think it's right. I'm, what am I going to do? I'm going to go, the Lord's will is done. I'm submitting to these brothers. That a church is only as healthy as its session. And its ability to love one another and submit to one another. And it's hard. And we need to clothe ourselves in the humility of Jesus, remembering what He's done for us. We follow with humility and remembering and this is something that James quotes as well in James 4. God opposes, opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that brings us to our last point. How should we all live under God's care? And that's verses 6 through 7. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Humble yourselves. Again, it's interesting. He says, all right, elders do this. Third person, right? I'm talking to the elders. Talk to the young people. I'm talking to all of you. And just in case, just in case you're going, yeah, I know a lot of people that need to hear that. He goes to the second person, plural, talking to you. I'm talking to y'all. You're included. Therefore, no one's left out. Humble yourselves. And this is the key to all this other humility as an elders to one another and, and humbly serving and to the, the flock, humbly submitting to the session. It's the key is humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's the key. Is that the humility of one another flows out of and it's because we are trusting the Lord. We're trusting His ways and His, His will will be done. That this, this being under the hand, the mighty hand of God, think about that. You are under the mighty hand of God. How does that hit you? 
You don't want it to hit you, right? You're under the mighty hand of God. That sounds kind of scary. To be under... But that's not... That's not the rest of the sentence, is it? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. This is not a crushing blow. This isn't a, this isn't a oppressive rule and reign of God. This is, this is doing what He said in, in, verse, in, in chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. We're acknowledging that this faithful Creator has us. That He is ruling and reigning and in control. And we're recognizing that my own efforts, my own will, my own thoughts, my own perspective is not enough. And that, that, I'm going back to our to what you saw, what we read in, as the reflection, the petty and tenuous heights that we can attain by our own proud efforts cannot compare with the towering peaks of enduring glory, of the enduring glory to which the hand of our God will exalt us. When you're in the valley, sometimes all you can see is the sides of the valley. That there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Have you ever been in a valley that deep? We read, we read Psalm 23 reminding us that what? That He pursues us. That the Good Shepherd is with us. That His hand is upon us. And it says at the right time. What is the right time? When I say I'm done, I wish it was sometimes, right? But when God decides, when He knows what's right for us, then, then... He will exalt us. Then He will deliver us. It's not that, it's not if. Isn't it good there's no if there? Or might, or maybe. But He will. He may exalt you at the right time. At the proper time. In His time. And this comes from, this, this seems to come from Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burdens on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And the context of that psalm is, I'm surrounded by enemies. God, where are you? I I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. But he knows that if he can cast that burden on the Lord, you will sustain. You will prevent us from being overcome. Why? Why should we trust Him? Why should we humble ourselves? Because He's God. He's in control. But why does He shepherd us so well? Why does He hear our worries? Why does He delight to hear? Verse 7. Because He cares for you. Because He cares for you. The Creator God, the Chief Shepherd, the King of Glory, He does not shepherd us out of compulsion or for selfish gain. 
to exert power. He comes not to be served, but to serve. He loves us and shepherds us in such a way because He cares for us. He cares for you. Elders, He cares for you. He's going to be with you. He's going to be with us as we lead, as we make hard decisions, as we, as we walk with people through hard things. He's with us. The, 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 the anxieties, the, the burdens, the, the hard things of, of leadership, we're called to cast those upon Him. Those of you who are members of the church... He's going to be with you. He's going to help you. He's, he's got you. You're not under His thumb, but in His hands. And He's not going to help you because He has to. Be. He's going to help you and love you to the end because He loves you deeply. He's with you in the valley. And He will see you through. We get to shepherd as elders. We get to follow and humble ourselves before one another because... Christ humbled Himself to serve us. He's delivered us from our sins. And He continues to walk with us, shepherd us, and keep us because He cares for us. And that humble servanthood, that humble sacrifice, that humble shepherding informs and shapes the way we shepherd, the way we love one another as His people. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for the office of elder. And thank you for the particular men that you have called to serve. Help us to shepherd in this way. Forgive us where we fall short. Help us to, to, the humbly, to humble ourselves before one another. To care for one another as the body of Christ. Help us more and more to close our, clothe ourselves... In humility. For you, Lord Jesus, are the humble, our humble King, who's gentle and lowly in spirit, and who cares for us deeply. Help us to keep running to you as we seek to lead, as we seek to submit, as we seek to be humble. Help us to look to you and cast all these worries, all the problems, all the issues of life to you because you care. You really, really do. Help us to see that and to believe that and feel that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.